there's a new definition of adulthood. Adulthood is everything that we do to cope with our childhood, right? Like that there is this moment in childhood where we're like, this isn't feeling good anymore. This, and sometimes for some of us really early and some of us a little bit later, but I don't, this hurts. I don't want to feel it anymore. And I would argue that's the point at which sort of adulthood begins, where we start to, instead of being who we are, we start trying to protect who we are. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Dr. Kelly Flanagan. Uh, Dr. Flanagan is an author, speaker, personal growth and relationship coach, and licensed clinical psychologist. He blogs regularly at drkellyflanagan.com. His writing has been featured in Reader's Digest, Huffington Post, and The Five Love Languages, and he's appeared on the Today Show with his daughter. I'm kind of excited to hear that story. Uh, uh, so, Dr. Flanagan, first, let me just start by saying thank you. Thank you for coming on the show um, and, and being with us today. Uh, I really do appreciate sure. you taking the time. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Can we start just with having you tell us, tell your story, tell your background, uh, and then we'll kind of dive in from there? Sure. Yeah. Um, I've never told it this way, but when you, you know, if we just chatted there briefly for a few minutes, you talked about the importance of helping everybody who's listening today get clearer and clearer about their why, right? Yep. And um, so I, I initially went to school to become a clinical psychologist, graduated with a PhD in clinical psychology. And, uh, and if you'd have asked me at that point, I'd have told you my why was to help other people get healthier, that I was passionate about that. Um, although I have a good friend who says that once you realize why you really became a clinical psychologist, you have to come up with a better reason. <laughs> and, uh, and so it turns out like it was theoretically this selfless thing, but really I was just trying to heal my own wounds and help other people heal theirs as well. And, um, and so I started to realize that um, it's okay to be doing things for myself as well, to, to sort of be attracted to the things that I want to do in the world. Um, as I started to heal, I started to, to get more connected with my intuition and my passions in that regard. And in about 2011, I decided I wanted to start writing. I'd never done it um, in any sort of organized way, except for grades, you know, throughout. And, uh, but I'd always been um, interested in it. It had always been attractive to me. And so I started writing a blog and uh, about nine uh, blog posts into my, my blog, I wrote a, a blog post called Marriages for Losers, which went really viral. Um, the idea was that uh, if we're gonna compete in marriage, we should be competing to see who can lose the most. Um, and if you sort of, there's a mutuality in that kind of culture and marriage, it becomes pretty powerful and, and beautiful. So. Um, that went really viral. And then I wrote a letter to my daughter um, about how she's inherently interesting in her job and finding a lifelong partner is to find somebody who knows she's interesting. So she's not constantly having to prove it. Right. And again, if there's a mutuality in that, it's a beautiful thing. 
Um, that went really viral. But then I wrote a second letter to her and published it on my blog. It was called Words from a Father to His Daughter from the Makeup Aisle. And it was about how her, her yes, she's beautiful on the outside, but her deepest and most enduring beauty is on the inside. And that went so viral that I was in my clinical psychology office one day. And uh, I pick up the phone and it's the Today Show. And they're like, hey, this letter of yours is amazing. Would you like to come out to the Today Show with your daughter and talk about it? So um, that was a surreal experience. It was getting like 2 million views a day or something like that. Um, and then I, uh, yeah, it was incredible. It was an incredible experience. So then I go on the Today Show and I'm with Caitlin. <laughs> And she's like, she's three at the time. So she's like lifting up her legs and showing her, you know, <laughs> her underwear to the world. But she did great. And um, I got connected with this incredible literary agent who said, hey, uh, you should write a book. And these letters to your kids are going viral. You should probably write a parenting book. And I went home to my wife, who's the child psychologist, and said, hey, Kathy, my agent wants me to write a parenting book. And my wife's like, dude, you have no business writing a parenting book. Um, and that was absolutely true, uh, cause everything I've really learned about parenting, I've learned from my wife, thankfully. Um, so it got us talking though. It's like, okay, like I'm getting, I'm getting a hundred emails a day from people around the world saying this letter that you wrote to your daughter. Um, you know, I, I realized that the, the emails I was getting, they weren't saying, I'm going to save this letter for my daughter. Or I'm going to write a letter like it for my granddaughter or anything like that. The emails were all saying the same thing. I still needed to hear these words. I needed to be reminded that I'm enough, that I'm worthy, that I'm not alone, that I belong, that I matter, that I have a reason for being here. And I'm like, wow, I'm writing a letter to my three-year-old daughter and grown men and women around the world are going, I still needed to hear these words. Like somehow those words got in and touched a part of me that still needed it. And I realized we've all got a little one inside of us still waiting on a love letter, right? There's this, there's this younger, wounded, needy part of us that is still looking to be assured of our worth. And um, and this was like really foreign to me because I was a clinical psychologist, empiricist, scientist, you know, inner child, what, you know, <laughs> but I sort of had to surrender to the truth of what the world was telling me, which is, no, we, we've got this little kid inside of us that needs to be healed still. And that's really sort of set my work, my, my writing, I wrote a book called Lovable, Embracing What is Truest About Us So We Can Truly Embrace Our Life. Um, and, uh, and it's really set my work and my, um, my sense of calling on the trajectory of helping people understand how that, that younger part of us is, is oftentimes the why driving so much of what we do, but we don't know it. And so therefore we're really not in charge of it. And so what does it look like to sort of take responsibility for that? Why? And then once again, find a better why for that younger part of us. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I mean. There's so many things there to to talk about, but that <laughs> that last part about you know sort of that that why from childhood, I guess it's it's funny because it's almost something that I feel like I sort of accidentally realized very very mm -hmm. recently, and I think it has a lot to do with just doing this podcast and talking to so many people and always asking them what their why is and all this, and in mm -hmm. like a few years back, you know, four or five years ago, I would. I would never have even known to call something that I would never have put that word mm -hmm. to it. Or, you know, it's like, you just have goals or whatever things right. you're trying to accomplish. And 
it's it's now you know my i know sort of my why is is very very family driven as it sounds like yours mm -hmm. is and and then you know yes. growing evolving towards having impact on a larger scale but like when i what i started to think about is like probably my very early why was just mm -hmm. escaping <laughs> some of childhood uh issues yeah, things right. like that like and yeah. it's like you're just like, oh, I don't, I don't want to be there again. So you kind of, you know, try to find your way out of it. And it, it's just a fascinating thing to, I, I mean, it, it wasn't a conscious thought that I had nope. or, or anything. It's just like, but so you're, the concept of that is, is amazing. And the, the letter to your daughter that sort of inspired, it is, I guess yeah. I would have thought the same thing. I would have thought people would be like, oh, I'm going to write this letter to my daughter or son or whatever you know i'm gonna do this for them and it and it's what i've realized in with my kids is, is a lot of times i i feel like as much as i try to avoid putting <laughs> any of my yes. you know sort of baggage on them and stuff i think sometimes almost you try so hard to to not do it that you do it uh, i guess mm -hmm. is, is absolutely Yes, I, probably. There's uh, so much in what you've just said. This is like, so I just recently shared in my socials, I said, here's a new definition of adulthood. Adulthood is everything that we do to cope with our childhood, right? Like that there is this moment in childhood where we're like, this isn't feeling good anymore. This, and sometimes for some of us really early and some of us a little bit later, but I don't, this hurts. I don't want to feel it anymore. And I would argue that's the point at which sort of adulthood begins, where we start to, instead of being who we are, we start trying to protect who we are. And that adulthood is really, for a lot of us, is the collection of protections that we've created to keep that younger part of us safe. Yeah. Um, and, and so the why, the hidden why in all that is, I want to feel safe and protected and I don't want to get hurt anymore. I don't want to feel any more of that pain from childhood. And if instead we can sort of shift that why to, I want to live fully from that original part of me, from who I really am, with as few protections as possible. Now we're starting to talk about real freedom, right? And uh, and so I love I love what you acknowledge there that um, you know a lot of it is just sort of trying not to feel any more of that. I think it's really important that we all know we had a moment where we did that. Yeah, yeah, and it it's. Uh, still still work in pro progress certainly but it's it's kind of for all of us yeah <laughs> which is why you, as you said which is why we pass a lot of it on to our kids i so whenever and and, and really the the concept that lovable ended up focusing on is the experience of shame which is the belief that we're not good enough the way we are to be loved and to belong to the people that we want to belong to basically and uh, and so when I start to talk about shame and the ways we accidentally send the messages or receive the messages that we're not good enough, like the parent, I can always see the parents like look of terror in their eyes and the audience going like, oh no, <laughs> like do I shame my children? And I always say, I got I got bad and good news. Bad news is yes, you are you definitely shame your children. There's all sorts of ways we can accidentally do it. And I'll share a really subtle example to illustrate that if you want, but um, but also. One of the most shaming things we can do for our kids is sort of project an image of perfection to them. You know how hard it is for a kid to feel like their parents are perfect and that they've got to live up to that 
because they're on the inside of themselves going, I know I'm not perfect, right? But I got to somehow be like mom and dad who seems to be perfect. So the best thing a parent can do actually for a kid is just acknowledge they're not perfect and apologize for the ways they're not and, and just sort of be aware that they passed some some junk onto their kids yeah. so that when the kids come back at 30, I would be doing a little therapy and yeah. <laughs> say, hey, you weren't, you weren't the perfect parent. You can go, I know, I'm sorry. What can I do to, to be even better right now? So anyways, but yeah, there's all sorts of ways we accidentally pass that on. Would you, would you sort of share and you said you, you would share a subtle one? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a, I, I, I share the story a little bit in lovable, but it's a story that sort of comes more and more alive for me as I, as I, help more and more people and understand how this experience of shame happens for us originally. Um, and so I'm like five, six years old, you know, in my say sort of the fall of my kindergarten year, I'm playing soccer for the first time in the youth soccer league. And as, as the story, as the legend goes in our family, like I wasn't even the kid who would roam around in the pack. I, I was the kid who stood in the center of the field and sort of turned on a dime and just watched it all happening. Yeah. And which was a little embarrassing for my, my, my dad, who was a, a multiple time state athlete. And, um, and, but then apparently the last game of the season, I started to run and I started to chase the ball. And not only that, I started to sort of like understand how to get to the ball before everybody else by anticipating where it would go. So my coach takes takes it on himself to go out and buy my buy me a most improved player trophy and bring it to the house right and one of my first memories of my whole life is standing in our foyer with my coach there and my parents and people are just awesome I, I just remember this feeling of like oh my gosh they're all like admiring me and happy for me and recognizing me and normally in our house no one's paying attention to me at all and so the irony in that moment is that what a kid is learning is when you just stand there and be yourself, no one's very interested in you. And maybe even we're a little embarrassed of you, but if you start running and chasing and achieving and accomplishing and winning, Oh, we're all, you know, we're all ears. We're all eyes for you. And that's a, that's a shameful message, right? That you're more worthy when you're running, chasing, achieving and winning than when you're just being you. And so, so much of healing really is sort of reclaiming the original truth that we are worthy just the way we are without having to do anything. And if we can really rest in that, then all of our doing proceeds from a sense of worthiness rather than being sort of a chase for a sense of worthiness. And, and so now your why is very different, right? It's not, I'm trying to prove myself. It's I'm just getting to be myself. And this is a lot of fun. Yeah, that's amazing. It's, we, uh, you, you mentioned that your, your wife, you know, sort of is a, the, the more qualified child psychiatrist. The, the, the interesting yes. thing is, is we, uh, we, I, I'm a veterinarian. My wife's a veterinary technician in, in our house. She is like, definitely the one that is my, you know, sort of lighthouse of how how to parent you know she's mm. she's doing all of the she's she's reading books she's you know kind of like really yeah. putting a lot of work into it and it's um it is really like super inspiring to see and it's in and have that like 
but it's all, almost at the same time. Sometimes I'm just like, I'm I'm not doing enough. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, mm. like you you build yes. up this uh, feeling of like how how you want to be. At least I do. Like mm. I want to be the best possible dad I can pot. You know, yes. and it's like sometimes um, that even that's like an overwhelming, you know, feeling of of it is yeah. of impossibility right like it's not it's impossible to be you know the perfect parent and so i, I think it's just kind of yes. a interesting even in my own house i'm like no she's definitely better at this than me like there's no <laughs> there's <laughs> no doubt she's better at this than me and, and it's kind of like you know she she does most of the you know she works some but like is is mostly mm -hmm. home with the kids that kind of thing and so in and it's like it's we you know we, we laugh about it but it's like a, if i if i'm home with them for a day without her like that's everybody's mm. nervous about it that it's going to be like am i going to survive that day and it's like it always everybody's turns out awesome nervous. yes like i always uh -huh. love it i'm yep. always like yeah this is this is great like if if i'm left on my own with the kids it's always fun like i i feel like we but it's like that awesome. for whatever reason my um idea like built up in my head to be this mm. like <laughs> infallible parent so I, I i just that's good it's it's a long-winded way of saying like i like what you said about you know sort of just being able to be ourselves and be human and and you know yes. apologize to them when when you're not having a good day and yes. you lose your patient your temper and you you know your patience that kind of thing i think um yes. it's and i can I can relate to that in the sense that, you know, when you feel like when you, you come out of your childhood feeling like you're not good enough, one of the most common protections against that feeling is to try to be infallible, to try to mm -hmm. be perfect so that no one can criticize you again. Right. And so, and so when I feel like I'm giving 110% and my wife communicates in one way or another, I need a little more, I get really defensive because I feel like, listen I've, I've i've put in my day's work i've proven to you that you know i'm doing the best i can you're not allowed to need more for me or you're not allowed to question you know like yeah. and um there was even one time where she we were in a, one of those cycles where she was asking for a little more of something and i was getting defensive about it where i i literally like i typed out everything i'd done that week for her and for the family like almost like it was like a like a <laughs> an agenda for a business meeting like i had yeah. different fonts and you know i formatted and then the right amount of white space on the page and we got into bed and and i was in such a crazy protective mode that i actually thought this was going to work i, I handed it to her we got into bed and said i just want you to know this is what i've been doing this week and guess what that didn't, Here's my that didn't work um yeah yeah oddly enough that does not That's right. fix the problems yeah, this, when this they're was, feeling that way this is a <laughs> uh, it was a poorly conceived solution um and um and so so yeah so like so much of of and, and you know this can apply to this can apply to wives and kids and, and apply to our teams and the people that we're serving and the customers we're caring for and the clients we're taking care of you know i mean it can apply to anybody am i showing up primarily is my why to protect myself and preserve preserve my reputation with you or am I trying to show up for my fullest, most authentic, most original self? Um, and the old stories that we have in our heads tell us that if we show up as our authentic, 
original self, it won't go as well. Um, but what we generally see over and over and over again is that when people have the bravery to do that, the courage to do that, um, all sorts of incredible things happen that wouldn't have happened if they were just in protection and self-preservation mode. So, um, so that's the, that's hopefully the why that is leading us whenever we're interacting with really anyone in our life that, that matters to us. Do you think that children in are inherently that way? Like they they mm. lead with their authentic selves and then somehow life takes it away from them? Because I feel like the question. Like I when when I watch my kids, like they're my son's four and a half, my my daughter's two, like they're they're young and I like they do, you know, they do things out in the world that like as a parent sometimes you might get embarrassed and i and i every That's time right. am like nope just let them let them be themselves mm -hmm. don't don't shut that stuff down because to me it's yeah. it's amazing like it's it's amazing to to be at that that person in life that like is able to just go yes. out and be themselves and like <laughs> dance down the sidewalk or whatever you know whatever it is they're that's doing right. and and it's like so do, do you think that the, the kids mm -hmm. that's how they you cut everybody starts that way like being their authentic selves uh, to me that if there was if i could pick a, the greatest gift of parenting just solely for myself it, it was getting to watch human beings before they felt ashamed like to get to Egypt, as you said, two years old, four years old. So when I was on the Today Show, I had three, five, and nine. So my nine-year-old was starting to enter into protection mode, like starting to already shift out of childhood, but my five and nine. So I got to watch these three incredible human beings come into the world. And as I write in Lovable, their worthiness is as, as natural and as given as eating animal crackers, right? Like, it's just like, yeah, this is who I am. Like, why would I question it? Um, and then one of the interesting things, as you pointed out, we do as parents is we go out in the public with them and they do something that we feel a little bit of embarrassment. And a lot of times we have very good motivation. The motivation is, oh my gosh, if you are still doing that by the time you get to kindergarten, the other kids are going to make so much fun of you, right? So we try to protect them against future shame by, ironically, accidentally shaming them right now. Yeah. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll get you to stop being you so that other people won't make fun of you. Um, and I think the reality is, as parents, if we can just stay in that place of supporting who they are and, 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 and nurturing their unfolding, they are gonna take hits out in the world. Um, but then hopefully they feel comfortable enough to, to come home and go, that hurt. And, uh, and you get to have a conversation about, yeah, it hurts when someone doesn't tell the truth about you. That's right. Um, and if mom and dad ever don't tell the truth about you, it'll hurt too. You tell us. Um, that was one of our rules with our kids growing up is if we ever do or say something that feels like it's not the truth about you, let us know. Because um, we want to give our kids the, the empowered voice to, to sort of respond to that shame. Uh, now, they're going to pick it up one way or another. Um, and so um, we just want to sort of be that safe holding place when they do, I think. Yeah, that... I, you're exactly right I mean that's the that's always the, the thing in my head that I'm like I I I do not want to you know so I don't want to hold them back I don't want to be I don't want to be that shaming influence in their life but then I'm like it's going to come sometime and I, just figuring sure out does. how to be able to be 
that supportive, you know, person or, you know, just <laughs> supportive place in their lives that they can come back to and, and uh, realize that, that it is okay to, to be themselves. And exactly. I mean, I'll share a, something that feels like equally a win and a, and a, and an ouch as a parent. Um, so our oldest now is still turn 20 in two weeks. Um, he, he told us from about eighth grade on, I'm not going to college, you know, school's for idiots. <laughs> Like, I don't have any interest in it, and I'm going to become a world-famous comedian. Um, and he's been telling us that since eighth grade. So he graduated high school last year, and sure enough, he moved into Chicago and started taking classes at Second City. He's he's fully self-supporting. He's out there working full-time at Trader Joe's to pay the bills and then taking uh, comedy classes on the weekends. So that's a win for me in the sense that he knew it was okay to be himself. Um, now, there's a part of me that's like, Oh my gosh, I wish you were what, doing something a little bit more conventional with a few more guarantees, you know, because mm-hmm. I, you know, this terrifies me. But we, we, I think as parents, we manage our anxieties enough to, to really support and let him be who he wanted to be. Now, on the other hand, um, he has ADHD and I have the opposite of ADHD, really high executive functioning. And so one of the consistent messages he got from, from me in his childhood was just exasperation with his disorganization, his lack of follow through on something, yeah. and, and, and just generally being disruptive. Um, so he comes home after one of the early months, you know, off living on his own. He says, dad, I'm wrestling with some anxiety just when I'm walking around in the city. And I was like, well, what is it? He says, I don't know, but I just keep thinking I don't want to be a disturbance to people. Um, I just, I keep shrinking. So I don't, you know, get in people's way and disturb them. And I said to him, I said, dude, I think that's part of the shame that, that I, at least I in part passed on to you was that you were a disturbance to me. Um, when you messed up, when you forgot things, when you didn't plan things, when you, you know, that, that you, you were a disturbance to our life. And, and, um, and I, you know, I feel sorry for every time I did that. Uh, I can't undo it. Um, but I, I do want you to know, I think I think you're the best kind of disturbance. Like you are a disturber and I want you to go out in the world and disturb people with your comedy, you know, get them thinking. And, um, but that's, and it wasn't just me. I mean, it was every teacher he ever had, <laughs> you know, telling him he's a disturbance and needs to go sit out in the hallway and all that. But, um, but yeah, like there's, it's, it's going to be a mixed bag probably for all of us parents. There's going to be some wins in nurturing, you know, our kids to feel safe to be who they are. And there's going to be some, some ouches there where we, we didn't, we'd like to take it back, but we can't. So we just have to own it. Yeah. Yeah. I, and the, I guess the awareness, you know, you, you're, you're able to talk about these things, you know, kind of in the past that happened, but I think uh, mm-hmm. someone like yourself, you know, mm. kind of sharing these stories, writing your books, your blog, all of that, we we can hopefully <laughs> look at those things mm. and say, because oh, I mean, as you're telling me that story, I was immediately like, crap, I think I do that. Like my my son, he gets sure. homework, right? He's, he's, he just started yeah. transitional kindergarten. It's like not even regular kindergarten yet. He gets homework and it's like, trace these letters or color in it's like it's basic stuff it in my mind it takes him forever because he doesn't uh, focus on it and I'm I've always been that like 
just get stuff just get stuff done get it out of the way and i'm like you know hey bud you want me to help you with your homework and apparently in my head what i'm really thinking is do you want me to get you through this homework faster and yes right like instead you know you saying that immediately makes me think well doing that wrong all right i gotta (laughs) i gotta Uh, step back and just let him do his work and at his pace and and if and if i had we're talking about like sort of complicated inner you know sort of inner things here going but if i had like one like to make this practical for people and for myself earlier on it would have been um this idea that we can actually feel our protections kicking in in our body usually somewhere between our stomach and our forehead um michael singer author of untethered soul calls it causes you he calls it your heart closing you can feel your heart closing um and what, what that is is that you're starting to protect your the ego you've created to protect you um that 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 wonderful inspiring creation it's it's kicking in um and so if i could go back the thing that would have made the biggest difference to my parenting would have been if i could have just practiced moment to moment awareness of when am i feeling that tight thing starting to happen in my chest what is the experience i'm not wanting to feel in the moment and how am i about to try to control one of the kids to manage my own emotions right I need you to get your homework done faster so I can be calm again and feel like your, your future is bright. Yeah. Right. Or I need you, the thing that we had to manage with Aiden, I need you to go to college because it's just so much more controlled and structured. And I don't have to wonder you know, all the lies we tell ourselves about how college is going to be a better outcome. Um, you know, like I need you to do something to help me calm down inside instead of just slowing down putting my hand over my, where, where I can feel my heart closing, my protections kicking in and learning to soothe and manage that emotion myself. Um, I think that's the most powerful thing that we can do to give our kids a chance at feeling like they get to be themselves. Anything that we do to say, hey, you need to behave, do X, Y, or Z so that I can feel calmer, more hopeful, more confident about you, usually doesn't, it's not serving them. And I did an awful lot of that. These days, when one of those moments kicks in, I try to notice it happening. And so my daughter and my, my middle guy are getting a little bit better. <laughs> a little bit better reactions from dad these days. And I guess, I mean, you mentioned sort of, you know, I don't know if you're you're literal about this, like hand on heart kind of to feel is I was going to that was going to be my next question. Like, how do you suggest people? Obviously, the first step is just being aware of it, like re- realizing yeah. and I and it's like, it may, might may take me a time or two of being like here just use it <laughs> but then i i generally right. figure it out but i that it's happening but i guess i'm i definitely don't feel like i'm well equipped to <clears throat> stop myself from being that you know sort of ru- in that instance yeah. like the rushing influence yeah so heading into 2021 i made my new year's resolution um sort of my my goal for the year was to notice my, as often as I can, notice my heart closing and try to open it back up. And, you know, we're what, two and a half years later. And I'm, that's, it's really become the central practice of my life with my kids, with my wife. Um, like when I sit down to write, um, when I'm in any interaction with somebody out in the world, uh, when I'm walking all by myself and a thought pops in and I feel myself tighten up, you know, um, it's become the central practice. So I'll, I'll, I'll illustrate it with a quick story here. Um, it's probably like 
I guess this was maybe last summer sometime. Um, now, once I started practicing this noticing of my heart closing and, and trying to open it back up, my, my life changed dramatically. Um, because when you open your heart back up, what you're doing is you're allowing that original self, right? You're allowing, if you want to call it your soul or your true self to be expressed. And I realized I was doing all sorts of things with my life I didn't want to do um, once I could get my heart back open. So I closed my brick and mortar therapy practice um, and I shifted entirely into online coaching of entrepreneurs. I quit writing nonfiction and I started writing fiction, which I've been wanting to do since I was about six years old. It's been the greatest, one of the greatest professional joys of my life. Um, but one of the ramifications of that is that it was a Tuesday afternoon. And instead of being off managing my team at my therapy practice, I was home, um, working from home. And my last uh, coaching client canceled. And I called my wife up at work and I said, hey, uh, I know that you were going to take Quinn to soccer practice, but I just had a cancellation. I'll take him and you can finish up at work. And she's like, oh, no, thank you so much. That's amazing. So I take Quinn to soccer practice. I pull back in the driveway. She's pulling in from work. And uh, I said, hey, I, I got some notes to finish up. Um, do you want me to get us a glass of wine and we'll sit in the back deck and finish our, our notes? And she's like, oh, gosh, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that'd be great. That sounds lovely. So we go, we do that. Six o'clock rolls around. Hey, I know you were supposed to get Quinn from soccer practice, but you got dinner to cook. Why don't I go get him? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. That's so thoughtful. So I go get Quinn from soccer practice. And I'm feeling like I am just hitting grand slams as a husband, right? Like, I mean, a few months ago, I'd have been 75 miles away paying attention to other people here i am and so um I, I come back in from bringing quinn home and she's cooking and i, I sit at the island and i say hey um do you, is this a good time to ask you about my launch team because my novel was about to release and she turns and she looks at me and she goes do you ever stop thinking about work and i could just boom like i could just feel my heart just my chest like slam shut like what the, are you kidding me after the afternoon I just put in? Like, <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I, I said to her, literally, I said, well, that was really, and Sheena, we were clear that we're both working at keeping our hearts open in our relationship. So I said, hey, that was, and that we are taking responsibility for our own heart and not telling the other person what to do, right? So, because that's just telling another person to open their heart is you closing your own in, in disguise. So, um, so, so I said, Hey, that was really triggering. I'm going to go lay down in the other room, take a few deep breaths and I'll come back when I'm ready to show up for you the way that you deserve. You know, she just turns around. I thought I'd be back before the green beans were done boiling. It took me a day and a half. It took me a day and a half to be, get my heart open enough again to be able to show up the way that she deserved. Um, what I was doing in the other room, what I did for a day and a half periodically is put my hand or it's really important to put your hand over that space where you feel it to actually make physical contact with that tightening sensation that in and of itself helps you to sort of move toward that energy rather than wanting to move away from it. And then I do an exercise where, and I coach my, the, the folks I work with, where we, we start with some, some deep breathing. And then we begin to imagine and visualize taking the breath into that space. Actually, the first thing we do is visualize the emotion that you're feeling in that tight spot. And it's, it's remarkable, the different, you know, oh, it's, a, it's like a black sun or it's a black hole or it's a white hot star or it's a, it's a jagged, like red, you know, sphere. 
Um, and then, and then we start to do the breathing and, and instead of trying to breathe into that tight spot and get rid of it, we actually just are trying to practice staying with the feeling rather than eliminating it because it'll come back if you don't learn to stay with it. So when you visualize that air coming into that space underneath your hand, picture it just surrounding and creating a little bit of space around that sort of black ball of gunk, we'll call it. Okay, now breathe out. Take another breath and breathe a little more space around that black ball of gunk. Um, and what you discover is that within a relatively short time, usually, not for me, it took a day and a half that time, but um, that's just telling you how big the wound is there, right? That you still haven't healed if it takes you a day and a half. But usually relatively quickly you can go, okay, do you still have the feeling? Yes. Do you, do you feel okay with the feeling? Can you stay with it? Is there some spaciousness around it? Can you feel, can you feel that feeling and feel a little peaceful? Yeah. Okay, all right, now you're present to it. Now we get to work at opening that feeling, that, that space back up, right? For me, after a day and a half, what I was able to identify is that I still, I mean, it was so humbling. I still see my wife like a vending machine, right? Um, I, I'm home, I went and took a kid to practice, I poured you a glass of wine, we had a good chat and I got a kid from practice and now, you should just think I'm the most amazing husband who's perfectly attentive and never distracted by his work, right? Which is so humbling to be like, there, I was doing it again. I thought I could control her reactions to me. Um, so it was super easy to come back and be like, that was totally unfair of me to try to control your reactions and expect that I'd get just what I want from you. You've got, you know, you have all sorts of things going on inside of you. It's not fair to think I can make you respond a certain way to me. Um, which, by the way, when a spouse starts to get those reactions from you, they suddenly become a lot more tender towards you because <laughs> they don't feel like they have to defend their their reactions anymore right? so um so that's just sort of a practical example of what it looks like on the ground to be going uh-oh my protections are kicking in this is how i'm gonna take responsibility for them so i'm gonna be vulnerable about them once i get through it um and rinse and repeat over and over and over again because that's what it's going to take <laughs> yeah yeah i imagine that's a an ongoing <laughs> ongoing work that sort of never never ends it, it it i mean it's just it is fascinating to to talk about these things and like and, and like everything you're saying i think about immediately like examples in my head i'm like oh like and and it's it, this is like a a silly similar example like the other there was like a couple weeks ago kids were playing and um one one of my kids was like climbing across my lap the other one was trying to like push them off my lap and eventually like my son kind of pushed my daughter my daughter's the two-year-old but she is fierce and she got mad mm. picked up a matchbox car and whipped it at my son well it missed my son hit me in the head like just and she's oh, shockingly yeah. strong for a two-year-old. And I was just like, <laughs> in, it's like that mm -hmm. that rage when you stand up and hit your head on like a cabinet door or something like that. And you're just like, can't, I, I like yes. had to leave the oh, room. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I just have to leave the room yes. right now. Because yeah. I was just like, I don't, I, I'm so furious with what just happened that I'm like, have to, but it's, yeah. so it's like, you're, you're, you're telling these techniques and I'm like, okay okay next time <laughs> i hope to not get hit in the head with another matchbox <laughs> car but like right. things like that like those are the 
those are good tools to have, you know, in whether it's yeah. spouse, children, coworkers, whatever the case may be, the, the, the closing of your heart, you know, description of it makes total sense. You, you do feel it. You do feel those things happen, that tightness. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, and usually, well, I don't know. Usually I guess what I do is not deal with it. <laughs> like just squish it down, <laughs> squish it down there and hope. Try to squish it down. Make sure, hope it doesn't yes. come back again. But like, I think that's, you know, that's, that's right. been, that's been my technique for so long, but I, it's, yeah. it's, but then you have, but then it gets released at the wrong times. And so I, I, mm. I'm so happy, you know, that you're, you've shared these, like almost putting a description or a name to it, but then also like, this is, yeah. this is what you can do in those moments. Cause I, I just think so many people, yeah. again, whether it's work or spouse or kids, whatever the case may be, like being able to, center yourself and you know maybe it will take yes. a day and a half at first or or several days or or you know and as the more you work on it the more it's going to be uh i guess become second nature well and i think the example you gave that that was it's really masterful what you did there because there's the wounds that we're protecting from childhood but there's also like we're wired. i mean when we get hit in the face we're biologically wired to react strongly to that i mean if you if you lost your eyesight you know five thousand years ago uh it was like it was over right? right and so like we are we are wired that if there's a threat to the face in particular to to really respond to that um but more often than not these days it's not sort of existential threats that we're tightening up against it's it's more those emotional threats um and uh and yeah, so I, I think I think that's a that's a really powerful example of sometimes you know, like when a kid runs into the road and you feel yourself tighten up, right? And you react. Yeah, okay. Um, now they're standing next to you, and you have that moment where you're like, "Oh my god, thank goodness you're safe!" And then yeah. that emotional surge of frustration comes. Don't you ever do that again? That's yeah. where now <laughs> we're probably we're protecting our emotions rather than yeah our physical well being. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's again like um, i'll give you an, an, an yeah you 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 say yeah, that you, and I'm you like, said something sorry immediately like yeah. immediately an example like this my son like we have a storage unit my son likes to go to the storage unit with me so it's up it's up a set of stairs there's a hallway and i i said he could he couldn't we had like bags luggage he's like i can't carry this up the stairs and I'm like okay you stand right here at the top of the stairs do not move and I walked down the seven stairs, turned around, picked up the bag, and he was gone. And I was like, lost my yeah. mind, like internally. And I was just like, Logan, like, yeah. scream for him. He had like gone around the, the corner of one of these in this, you know, storage buildings are like just these long hallways, basically. And I just, yeah, that, that, what you just described, that, that whole thing happened where it was just like, first, you're just, you know, got to find him, you're panicked, then you find him. Right. And then you're just mad slash like, <laughs> I was like, That's on the verge right. of tears, because I was just like, so much had happened yes. that I was like, if yes. I actually lost you, like, that would be the worst thing yes. I can imagine. And so it's like, all of that, like, takes place in in a span of like 30 seconds. And you're just 
overwhelmed and it was like the- well yes and 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 you said earlier you got like that we talked about how adulthood is sort of resisting getting any more of that pain from childhood and and so like in that moment that what you're experiencing is I, i'm resisting experiencing the loss of my child so yes like i'm going to do whatever i can to not feel like what that would be like to lose a child even though you notice some of it in the background there's tears right like you were actually feeling what it would be like to lose your child yeah. but then your your anxiety and your anger were reactions to that efforts to try to not experience that that loss and and the challenge i mean hopefully nothing so dire ever happens but the challenge for each of us is to be able to fully experience whatever is in front of us before we decide what to do with it right um because it usually our reaction is i don't want to experience what's in front of us and so i'm going in front of me so i'm going to react in this way so i don't have to fully experience now our why is i don't want this to be happening to me um but we can have a deeper why if we can go okay i can handle this experience i can soothe myself through it i can be okay now i get to decide how i want to respond to this from a much deeper wiser place than just i don't want to feel it if that makes sense you also mentioned squishing it down, which I think is a really profound, actually squishing is a great word for it. Um, and I think of, it makes me think specifically, we all know this uh, example, Will Smith and Chris Rock. Okay. I, I finished Will Smith's memoir, The Day of the Oscars, um, and, and was really sort of antsy at the conclusion of it because he he suggested that the, the that, that angry protective part of him that he calls the general, that he had gotten rid of it. He said, I did 14 ayahuasca ceremonies. I read all the right books. I've done all the spiritual retreats. He goes, I've, it's basically implied it's, it's gone. And I thought, you can't, you, you can't eliminate a part of yourself. It's always there with you. All we can do is be aware when it wants to assert itself and then make wise decisions about what to do with it, right? I thought, well, okay, I hope that doesn't come back to bite you well. And then literally, right, a few hours later, it plays out. And he feels that part of him surge up, but because he thinks it's not there anymore, because he tried to squish it back down, so to speak, um, he didn't have the the awareness to to make a wise decision about it. And so I think so much of our wealth and our growth and our integration is about going, yeah, I got it all. I got that original part of me. I got the part of me that feels ashamed, and I got all the protective parts. And instead of squishing them down, rejecting them, trying to get rid of them, wishing they weren't a part of me. I learn how to be present to them and experience them and then make wise, wise decisions based upon what I'm learning from them. Um, and, uh, and it takes a lot of awareness in the moment, but that, that tightness is a, is a good place to start in terms of bringing awareness to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, literally talk about this all day long. I don't want to keep you all day. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for, for all of this. Um, I, I think it's going to be, people can get so much value out of this um i want to make sure that you know wherever uh is best for people to reach out to you uh obviously you know reading your books yeah. but but um what do you want to uh or what's the best place to kind of get a hold of you or or, or find uh find your materials yeah absolutely um a few places come to mind. My website is drkellyflanagan.com, drkellyflanagan.com, um, all A's in Flanagan and single ends. Um, and then uh, 
Um, right now, I'm actually uh, I'm writing a book in public uh, about this very topic. Um, the, this 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 original self, the the shamed self, and then the protective self. And I'm writing it on Substack. Um, so you can go to drkellyflanagan.substack.com and uh, and follow along for free. Um, and then uh, the other thing that comes to mind is just uh, to find me in socials. I'm Dr. Kelly Flanagan everywhere, Dr. Kelly Flanagan, and, and you can find me wherever, uh, whatever platform that you're on. Um, Lovable is is a book that addresses a lot of this, um, and then my first novel, which you can see, I think, right over the shoulder here, uh, the Unhiding of Elijah Campbell. Uh, it gets it gets specifically to that issue of of the squishing you talked about, squishing everything down and just trying to pretend it's not there. Um, and it does it in a story format that is really compelling. Um, I've had a lot of uh, entrepreneurial guys who like have never read a novel read it and say, dude. Tried through the last 20 pages. That was amazing. I'm a better man. So um, if you want to be a better man, go check that out too. I, I do. <laughs> or or a better woman. Or a better woman. I think whoever, for the women listening, I think it's equally out there. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. And we'll definitely um, put all of that in the show notes. Um, I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I, I think this was an amazing conversation. Uh, for, for me personally, but, but I think also, um, you know, listeners will get a lot of value out of this and, and just, you know, even in this short time that some of the techniques you described, some of the experiences you shared, uh, I think, you know, kind of can, can help us all, you know, whether it be a better man or woman, be a better parent, you know, just, just, uh, get in touch with, with our own authentic selves. I, I do, I do appreciate it so, so much, uh, you coming and sharing all this and being on the show it's really my pleasure i, I it's every time i get to talk about it it freshens it for me and i I'll, I'll be a probably a better husband and dad today because of it so thank you <laughs> there you go there you go well uh to the listeners i know you're gonna love this one um please like rate and review the show so we can get more great guests like dr flanagan uh and and thank you all so much for listening I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.